We're continuing a collection of talks tonight that we've been in for, it seems like, forever. This is week six of this collection of talks called The Problem of God. And what we've been doing is been, we've been addressing as a community just difficult topics and questions that people have about Christianity, Christianity and, and, and faith in general. So we've been covering some pretty heavy stuff, and it's been awesome so far. But we're continuing week six tonight, and we are going to be talking about the exclusivity of Christ or the exclusivity of Christianity. And so what I mean by that, if I could explain, is it's about this claim that Christians have um, that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is the only way. And so exclusivity or exclusivism means like, hey, we hold the truth. We know the answer, and, and that's all there is. The opposite of exclusivism or exclusivity would be inclusivism. Um, inclusivism. So that's like, no, like we have to include everyone. Everyone is right. Everything is true. This is also known as pluralism or, uh, you know, people who have a, a position where they hold uh, relative truth uh, would be kind of lumped in there as well. And so that's what we're going to talk about, uh, just the idea of exclusivism and inclusivism or pluralism. And uh, this is a big issue. Like exclusivity is a big issue in our culture. Uh, a lot of people really, really struggle with this topic. I think exclusivity and hell are probably the biggest problems that people have with Christianity and the Christian faith. And um, so, yeah, I'm glad we get to talk about it today. And next week I'll be preaching as well on hell. So I get the two uh, really tough ones. But, uh, you know, a lot of people think it's actually wrong for Christians to have this viewpoint or this position that Christianity is the truth and everything else is, is not the truth. Um, because by default, what this means is that every other faith position, every other worldview, every other ideology, by default is wrong. If we say we're right, then that means everyone else is wrong. And we really struggle with that. People really struggle with that. But we actually get this idea from scripture. So I want to read for you just a few scriptures that kind of give us the framework for why Christians believe this, because we didn't just make it up. We're not just standing in our arrogance being like, we know the truth and, and you don't. And that, it's actually the, the claim of scripture. Um, so I'm going to read just a few verses. John chapter 14, verse 6. This is Jesus talking. John, this letter uh, is in the New Testament. It was written about the life of Jesus by one of Jesus' disciples named John. So John chapter 14, verse 6. It'll be on the screen um, if you don't have a Bible. Um, it, it says, it says uh, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is like, I'm the only way. There's another scripture found in 1 Timothy 2.5. Uh, 1 Timothy was written by this guy named Paul to his protege, his disciple, his little homie named Timothy. Paul was this church planter, this missionary, this leader, and he writes this letter to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, he says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So he says there's only one way to connect humans to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. And then we go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts was, uh, it, it's the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the early followers of Jesus, and it's written by this guy named Luke, who was actually a doctor, this super smart guy, and he, he records all the, the, the things that happened as the church began to grow after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Luke writes, and there is no salvation and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so we're seeing this theme of 
Jesus is the only way. We're seeing this exclusivistic kind of framework being built. And then we go back to John, who's that disciple of Jesus. And in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, um, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, at first, you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't he say, like, I was, like I was before Abraham? Uh, Abraham, of course, is the kind of the, the founder of the Judaistic, uh, the Jewish faith the, the, of Judaism. He's where it all started. But Jesus, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, he wasn't actually, like, making a point of, like, hey, I was here at this point of time. He was actually saying, I am. Uh, I am is the, the, the translated word from the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh is actually the name of God, and when you translate Yahweh, it becomes I am. And it's about, it's, it's really just God is like everything, but it's the name of God. So Jesus, when he says I am, he's saying I am God. And so when he said this, <coughs> everyone would have went like crazy. And as you can see uh, after this, it says they picked up stones to throw at him. Because Jesus was making this crazy claim that he was God. And so he didn't just claim to know the way to God. He actually said, I am God. And the biblical authors support this as well. And he says, I am God, and I'm the only way to God. There's no way around it. And so this is a really hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people struggle with this. Um, but regardless, it's, it's a central claim of Christianity. The exclusive claim of Christianity is central to our faith that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father through, uh, except through Jesus. And so we actually have to wrestle with this. We have to do the hard work, and we have to figure this out. And it's tough because exclusivity is not a historical, scientific, academic, intellectual problem. It's very deeply rooted in emotion. It's an emotional issue. And as Canadians, we really push against exclusivity. We really push against this, and we really struggle with this based on our landscape. You look at Canada and who we are. We're this beautiful mosaic of people from all over the world. And then we look at this exclusive, exclusive claim that, no, everyone else is wrong, and this is right. And we're like, how do, we, how do we figure this out? I remember when I first started going to church, I was like, 16, 17 years old, and I remember walking with one of my youth leaders, we were going to 7-Eleven to get Slurpees, and I was just beginning to ask questions about Christianity, and all my friends were Muslims or, or, or Sikhs or people of different faiths, and I asked my youth leader, like, how do you know you're right? Like, how do you know, like, I, I know all these people who have all these different worldviews and different faith positions, and how do you know you're right? And so I remember back in high school, I was struggling with this question, and and, and, and as a Canadian, it's, it's real because we want to get along with everyone. We look around and we see all these differing views and we're trying our best to reconcile what we see and how, how we live our lives and we want to be civil. Like we want to be kind and loving and caring to the people around us. But here's where we need to use caution as followers of Jesus and just anyone in general. We need to use caution because civility cannot shape our philosophical and theological beliefs. I'll say that again. Civility, and write this down, civility cannot shape our philosophical and theological beliefs. And so, yes, we want to be kind. Yes, we want to be loving. Yes, we want to be caring and compassionate to the people around us. But cooperation does not equal agreement. Like, you can disagree with someone and still love them with all your heart. 
you can disagree with someone and still cooperate with them. You can still be in a group project with them. You can still have them over to your house. You can still give them a ride. You can still be friends with people who you disagree with. Cooperation does not mean agreement. And there's this quote by this guy named Richard Mao I want to share with you. It says this, Christian civility (coughs) does not commit us to a relativistic perspective. Civility does not require us to prove of what other people believe and do. It is one thing to insist that other people have the right to express their basic convictions. It is another thing to say that they are right in doing so. So when it comes to exclusivity and inclusivity, it puts this bad taste in our mouths because we want to be civil, we want to be kind. But, but just because it does that, just because it puts this bad taste in our mouths to say this is the truth, this is the only truth, and everything else is wrong, doesn't actually mean that it's wrong. Just because you don't like it, just because it's hard to stomach, doesn't mean that it's actually wrong. And so we need to, what we need to do is we need to seek truth no matter what. And we need to push past our desire to be civil and even polite. Of course, we need to operate in civility and politeness while we're doing this. But we need to make truth our ultimate aim and our ultimate goal. We need to discover truth. Now, before we we go any further, I do want to make it clear. Now, we do have um, an exclusive, uh, like, faith worldview that, that Jesus is exclusively the truth. But just because we hold that worldview doesn't mean we disrespect or, or put down other people. In fact, I would argue that as Christians, our biblical mandate is to fight for people no matter what, regardless of history, regardless of perspective, regardless of politics, regardless of religion, regardless of orientation, regardless of, of experiences, whatever, it doesn't matter. We are actually supposed to fight for people and advocate for people and support people and actually, like, it's our job to make sure that everyone has the ability to practice whatever they want to practice and believe whatever they want to believe. But it doesn't mean we have to just say, oh, everyone is right in doing that. So we can depend, defend people and advocate for people without saying, oh, you're right. And, and, and without saying, oh, this is, this, your, your truth is actually true. And, and I think truth in our culture, it's really actually, it's interesting. I don't even know if truth really exists in our culture right now. But there's this idea that's very prevalent in our society. And the exclusivity of Christianity and the claims of scripture actually rally against this ideology that is so prevalent right now. And it's this uh, idea, ideology of, of relative truth. So relative truth, if I could summarize it for you, the best I could summarize it is it's this idea that what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. So the, the, the person who has the perspective of truth, their perspective of truth is true. That's relative truth. And the idea of relative truth actually comes from a really good place. It comes from this, this position of trying to solve a very real problem. It's actually originated as an anthropological tool that people used to reduce ethnocentrism as they looked and studied other cultures. So they didn't want to read their own biases and their own worldview into other people's cultures as they were learning about it and explaining them and exploring them. So, so um, they created this idea of relative truth. Okay, what's true for me isn't true for this person over there, and it helped them study other, other cultures. In Canada, it stems from our, our mosaic um, culture, so, like, we're trying to solve this problem. Like, if you have a Muslim and a Jew and a Christian all in a room, who's right? So rather than arguing, 
what the inclusivist wa wants to do, what the person who has, has a relative truth point of view or a pluralistic point of view is saying, rather than arguing, rather than competing, let's give every single person in the room a first place ribbon, ribbon you all win, send them home, and everyone is happy. So it's an honest attempt to solve a, a real problem that, that, that we have. And, and, and I think this is where we need to differentiate between what, what we call cultural pluralism and metaphysical pluralism. So let me explain what those mean. Cultural pluralism is the idea, um, it's accepting the fact that there are other cultures, other religions, other viewpoints in the world. Cultural pluralism is good. We want to acknowledge that the world is different. Where we kind of get in trouble is when we begin to hold metaphysical pluralism, which is accepting the viewpoints of those cultures and, and, and uh, ideologies as truth. So yes, we need to acknowledge their culture, but where we kind of struggle with and where we cross a line that we don't want to cross is when we begin to get into metaphysical pluralism and say that everything is true. And what our culture has done, because again, this comes from a good place, but what we've done is we've confused the ideas and the meanings of, of meaningfulness and truthfulness. And, and, and so we've said, okay, uh, if you believe that, then, then, then it's true for you and it, it's true. Rather than saying, oh, if you believe that, it, it's, it's meaningful. So there's a difference between meaningful and true. And something can be meaningful without being true. So I don't want to offend anyone, and I'm not trying to put anyone down when I say this, but uh, for example, uh, a six-year-old who believes in Santa Claus, that's a very meaningful worldview for them. That's, that, that means a whole lot to them, and, but it's not true. So something can be meaningful for you, something can have value for you, something can inspire you and encourage you, and you can look forward to something that is meaningful but isn't necessarily true. But what our culture has done is said that all things are true for all people. But I, I think when we say this, what do you do when all of a sudden you have two competing truths? What if person A says truth A and person B says truth B, and in fact they contradict or they compete? And this is where we have this idea of the law of non-contradiction. So this is an actual law that says two opposite ideas cannot be true at the same time. This is the law of non-contradiction. So either you are wearing a hat or you are not wearing a hat. It's one or the other. Either your socks are red, solid red, or they are not solid red. You, you cannot have two opposing ideas that are true at the same time. And this actually applies to faith positions. So a lot of people will say, well, every religion is true. Every religion is right. But what if they have opposing ideas? And we're going to throw up this chart. It actually has a list of different, um, different faith worldviews and then different categories uh, of, of thought and belief. And so when you look at, um, let's say, Islam, for example, when it comes to God, uh, they believe that God is Allah. God is one. God is Allah. And, and when you look at Judaism, they believe that God is Yahweh. Again, God is one, but he's different than Allah. He is Yahweh. Um, Christianity believes in the Trinity. So God is still one, but yet God is three. It's this crazy mystery. God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one. Uh, when you look at meaning, the meaning of Buddhism, the whole point of life in Buddhism is nirvana. You want to get to nirvana. Um, in Hinduism, it's moksha. So it's liberation from, from karma. But in atheism, the whole meaning of life is, is pleasure. Just have fun. Enjoy your life. And when you look at um, <coughs> Hinduism, the afterlife, they believe in uh, you will be reincarnated until, until um, you reach 
Brahman, which is like full enlightenment, and uh, Christians believe that either you end up eternally with God or eternally without God, um, heaven or hell. And, and so we have these opposing viewpoints, and as we look at this, only one of them can be true at a time. Now, this doesn't prove that Christianity is true, but it does show us, this chart does show us that all religions are fundamentally different and often oppose each other. And to take this a step further, uh, the Quran, for example, which is the, the text of, of the, the, the religious text of Islam, says that Jesus did not die on the cross. But yet we have the Christian scriptures, the Bible. We also have pagan, Jewish, Roman, Greek documentations that say he did. And so you have these two opposing ideas. Either he died on the cross or he did not. The law of contradiction, non-contradiction says that one has to be right. Or, for example, you have atheists who say that no religion is true. <coughs> but then you have pluralists or inclusivists who say all religions are true. So you have the law of non-contradiction. And actually to say that Buddha and Allah and Yahweh are the same, just different expressions of the same journey or the same path to God, is actually really, really offensive to the people who believe those faiths. And so inclusivists, while trying to not offend anyone and just say, hey, it's all good, let's live in peace, they actually offend many people. Uh, a, a, another thing that inclusivism does is it cuts off the branch that it sits on in, in two primary ways. The first thing it does in, in which it kind of defeats itself is that it claims to know absolute truth. It claims to know absolute truth. And the second thing is it actually becomes exclusive. So inclusivism excludes the exclusivists. And it claims that their view is wrong and that the view that they hold is true. So to claim that all religions lead to the same God is actually to declare an absolute truth. So while saying no one can know an absolute truth, they are actually stating an, act, uh, an absolute truth. And so we see that this idea of, of relative truth actually breaks down very easily. Now, what I want to do is really quickly spend some time on this idea that all faiths and all religions lead to the same God and they're just different expressions of the same thing. So often in inclusivists or pluralists would say um, every faith is like, like a mountain. And, and everyone's just trying to get up the mountain, and there are different paths to go up the same mountain. I believe we have a, a picture. So we're just trying to go up the mountain to get to God. And Hinduism and Christianity and, and all of these things, we're just trying to get um, up the mountain to, to, to be with God, to experience God. But everything is true. Everything is right. Now, based on that chart that I showed you just a few moments ago, we see that actually that's incorrect. So each faith is not a different path up the mountain. Each faith worldview is actually a completely different mountain with different values and different perspectives. And I'll actually say this, uh, Christianity is different in, in the sense that rather than uh, going up the mountain to try to get to God, God actually came down the mountain to be with his people. And so we don't have different, um, they're, they're not just different paths up the same mountain. So that metaphor breaks down so easily. Uh, another way that um, inclusivists or pluralists will try to defend their position is by uh, the parable of the, the four blind men and the elephant. And so, again, they say that the elephant is like God, and everyone, uh, they, 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 it goes like this. There's, there's four blind men. And so the first blind man comes to the elephant, and he's blind. He can't see. So we got Post, Post Malone. He's our first uh, first blind guy, blind posty, 
And so he, he, he's at the elephant, but he's blind, and he feels the, the trunk of the elephant, and he says, oh, this feels like a really big snake. That's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling a really big snake. And then the next blind person comes along, blind Wonder Woman, and she feels the, 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 the ear of the elephant, and she says, oh, this is flat and rough. I, I feel like I'm touching sandpaper. That's it. I know I'm touching sandpaper. And then the third blind person comes, and it's JB. <laughs> Shout out to Justin Bieber. He touches the leg, and he's like, guys, you're wrong. This is actually a, a tree trunk that we're feeling. It's not sandpaper. It's not, it's not a snake. It's, it's a tree trunk. And then finally we have Shia LaBeouf. Come on. Uh, he touches the tail. He's blind. He can't actually see it. He says, this is a rope. This is a rope. And, and, and so um, we have these four, four blind men. And then what the ex- but, but we're missing a character because the ex- exclusivist is actually down in the corner observing all this. They claim to not be blind. Barack Obama's like, hold up, guys. Um, you're all wrong. It's not sandpaper. It's not a tree trunk. It's not a rope. It's actually an elephant. And you're wrong. And, and, and I'm right. And so while trying to be uh, or trying to break down exclusivism, the, exclu- the inclusivists themselves become exclusivists who say, we know better than all of you. They say, we know better than all of you. And so we see major flaws in trying to defend this inclusivistic, although it sounds great, although it's nice, we see major flaws in the, uh, just the basic foundations of it. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, uh, he had a, a, a conversation with a Jewish person and a Muslim person. It's kind of like a debate. And after the, the debate, this is what he said. He said, we all agreed on this statement. If Christians are right about Jesus being God, the Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or a prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. Several of the students were quite disturbed by this because to insist that one faith has a better grasp on truth than others was seen as intolerant. So again, it's really tough stuff to wrestle with and wrap our minds around because we don't like it. Like, we don't want to stand and say, I'm right, you're wrong. But logically, it is impossible for all religions to be different paths to the same conclusion. It is impossible for all, all religions to be right. It just doesn't work. Now, this still doesn't prove that Christianity is the truth. It just proves that all we've determined is that there is absolute truth. There has to be absolute truth because relative truth doesn't work. And only one worldview can hold that truth because as we've seen, all these worldviews oppose each other. And the law of non-contradiction says one of them has to be true. And then so we have to ask the question, well, then why Christianity? Why is Jesus the right way? When we have all these faith positions, all these worldviews, how do we know that Jesus is the right way? And now we've already addressed this in previous weeks. And so if you haven't been here for when we talked about uh, God and science and Jesus and the Bible, I would encourage you to check out the Ascent podcast. Zach and Brittany and John did a really good job at that. But if I could in two seconds uh, summarize, um, it's this. The reason Christianity is true and band, you can come on up. We're going to worship in just a minute. Um, It's this. Christianity has the best origin story. Uh, out of all kind of worldviews and, and frameworks of thinking, Christianity has the best origin story. It has the most comprehensive answer to evil and suffering. 
Like it actually gets into the nitty gritty of evil and suffering and explains that in a way like no other faith does. Uh, it's the most historically accurate. So when you look at the events that unfold in the Christian text in the Bible, it's the most historically accurate. The Bible is actually the most analyzed and studied text in, in, out of any ancient text on the planet. So many people have gone through this thing trying to disprove it, and they cannot. Um, and there's this guy. He's a, an apologetics guy. So that means he spends his life defending the Christian faith. He's this amazing guy named Ravi Zacharias, and he talks about Christianity being true because um, it addresses meaning, origin, morality, and destiny with correspondence and coherence. So it, it takes everything and, and, and it answers it with clarity. Everything, uh, no, no, no uh, Christian doctrine or, or thought breaks down another. It all works coherently and, 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 and together. And, and, and so again, that's just a little bit of it. We do get into more. We have full messages of for why Christianity is, 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 is right as opposed to other viewpoints. But here's kind of where I want to land with all of this. Although Christianity is exclusive in its doctrine, it is inclusive in its scope. So although Christianity is exclusive in its doctrine, it is ex inclusive in its scope. So it does claim truth exclusively, but it is the most inclusive faith on the planet. So there's this scripture, you've probably heard it, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That word whoever is the very image of, of our faith, of the Christian faith. Well, who can be a Christian? Whoever. Well, who's worthy? Whoever. What about this guy? Bro, didn't you hear me? I said whoever. Oh, well, what about me? I've, I've made some mistakes. I've screwed up. I've done this. Whoever, that whoever is the most inclusive word that we can utter out of our lips. And we see it in the most, the most popular, the most famous passage of scripture in the Bible. And it, it, it grabs God's heart and it says that anyone and everyone is welcome to follow and know Jesus. So whether you're black, white, rich, poor, tall, short, whether you're a saint or a sinner, whether you're a conservative or a liberal, whether you're good or bad, all are welcome into the family of God. Whoever, whoever should choose to follow Jesus can do so. It's exclusive in its doctrine, but it's inclusive in, it, in its scope. The message of Christianity is not stay out. It is not a closed door. I mean, the very image of Jesus on the cross with his arms stretched wide is a picture of his inclusivity. To say, all are welcome to follow me. All are welcomed into this family. It's not stay out. It's not not yet. It's not do this first. It's just come and, 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 and be with me and know me. Come in. Welcome home. You belong. This is your family. You're a child of God. 